All right, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast. Uh, real quick about the podcast, uh, in this podcast people who are in active recovery from addiction share their unique experience in the hope that listeners still in active addiction uh, can maybe identify with their stories and find hope for their own recovery. Uh, we are not affiliated with or do we speak for any 12-step program or any other addiction or recovery-based entity. The words spoken here um, reflect the experience of our guests and not the opinion of their chosen path to recovery. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So today on the, ep on the podcast, we have, again, a very special guest. <laughs> um, Somebody that, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm always weird because, like, I don't know if I should, like, you know, gas up the, the, the guest. Uh, but uh, Van is our, our, my guest today. And um, he, I mean, you, <laughs> you were uh, a, a, a one of the people when I, when I got sober who um, I saw you and I went, okay, this is all right. You know, you said some things. I don't remember exactly what it was, but Good. I and but they they resonated with me. Um, I didn't, you know. You were like, you were like a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I was just older. Yeah, Old, older and, and more experienced, and you you knew what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I and, and I think what happens when you're very, you're in this for a while and you're doing this stuff, you you eventually sound like you know what you're talking about right? which it, it scares some people it's you know the younger people i remember approaching you when you were in treatment yeah and you were kind of like in my personal space bro yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm very stand i was very like skittish and standoffish um but yeah so um personally i look up to you you know thank you and uh i'm glad that you know i feel like you know i've been now that you've been on the show, this show has some credibility. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, you, uh, if you you know the format, you know typically, um, you know, just come on and tell your story, and we and we'll just you know hopefully not go on too many random asides. Well, you you need to keep it on track. Yeah, that's my job, mm -hmm. which you know I'm not that great at. Yeah, me either. So I'm not but, good at staying on track. <laughs> but as a team, maybe we can make something happen. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so what about, um, why don't you just go ahead and start from wherever you would start at a meeting or something? Well, I'm a born and raised a New Orleanian, um, came from a kind of middle, uh, class family, uh, when I was born. Um, what was strange was that both my parents, um, had gone to college. Um, uh, my mother graduated with a master's degree from Newcomb. My father was this good looking guy that moved fast. He went to, um. Graduated college, um, went to Georgetown Medical School, didn't quite finish, got to his internship in medical school, and then he decided he didn't want to do that, and he went to Loyola Law School and got a law degree. Um, my grandparents on his side were somewhat funded, and um, that was not to be our destiny. Funded? Um, funded. Meaning? They, no, she had, they had a business, and yeah. they had made a lot of money during World War II, and you know... It, it never affected my family because <laughs> my father's, I'm laughing at it, but it's, it's pretty sad. Uh, my father's alcoholism oh. uh, ran through our family like a hurricane. Wow. Um, it really did. Um, I think he lost his first job when I was three or four, and then it was just a succession of us. Um, I think I counted the other day from my school years, first to eighth. I think I went to five different schools. Wow. So as we changed schools and our economic position changed, we would have to move either We'd lose the house we had, and we'd move in with our grandparents, and then we'd he'd get another job, and we'd move somewhere else. So it was, <clears throat> wow. didn't I didn't look at it as a childhood trauma, but I guess it was. Yeah, um, very unstable. It was. Yeah. It was, sadly, because um, the friends that I would make, the short-term friends I would make, their lives didn't seem that unstable. You know, their parents were together, and my uh, my parents were on the, uh, at 10 years old, he was out of the house. Yeah. And um, I think when I was 14, he committed suicide. So he had never sent money to the family, and we went from that point to a government project. 
So, um, yeah, it was pretty traumatic. And uh, my mother didn't have a job and she had to go back to school at night and, you know, find somebody to care for us. And then she got a job and she was teaching school and did the best she could to keep. It was just me and my sister. My sister was 13 months older than me. And um, to keep us together and keep us afloat, which she did um, a pretty amazing job considering what was happening. Yeah. And, um, and what, this is in New Orleans? Uh, Metairie, Metairie, suburbs, yeah. Okay. Uh, my grandparents lived in New Orleans uh, from my mother's side. Yeah. So we would live there on and off during my childhood. But um, we lived Metairie. Yeah. I would say Metairie. Um, so I, I used to blame this and um, all the time, which I've since had a change of opinion on that. My perception has changed, obviously. That um, when we moved to that government project, and I was in, I think, eighth grade, and my parent, my grandparents, I went to Jesuit High School, which was a, a Catholic high school that was fairly expensive. Of course, my mother couldn't afford it. My grandparent, my grandmother paid for it. So I'm going to school with kids that are in normal, high-functioning families, yeah. and, and I'm come from money. Come from money. Yeah. And I'm not in that place. I'm yeah. taking a bus, a public service bus, uh, with books down Airline Highway to go to Jesuit <clears throat> on Carrollton, and um, at that government project that seemed to gravitate towards um lower companions okay. which <laughs> that's what i for years i blamed my father's uh, demise on that happening but yeah. um i've come to realize that i would have gravitated towards lower companions no matter so what had happened but by, by, by lower companions what do you mean older people who weren't going to school and were okay. doing drugs and alcohol i was okay. attracted to the i think i've always been attracted to the dark side yeah so at an early age um, you know, I started dabbling in alcohol and drugs and my sister was 13 months older than me. So she would be able to introduce me to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, she had yeah, a little older crowd in that kind of neighborhood. It's kind of pervasive and it's, it's, it was, yeah, it was. And I took advantage of every yeah. <laughs> opportunity I had. I had a downward spiral. I mean, I think I drank when I was 12 years old and I started smoking weeds shortly thereafter and all I can remember is that's all I wanted to do. That that up until that point, it, it seemed, in retrospect, that um, I was a pretty good son, pretty good student, pretty good athlete, uh, pretty good friend. And as soon as I started doing those things, I was no longer any of that. Hmm. You know, I, I lost. I didn't listen to my mother. I didn't go to school. You know, I started skipping out and having trouble with the law and curfew and you know just stuff back then, in the um, early seventies. So. Um, I can track it now that um, once that happened, it was a pretty it was pretty quick what had happened to me. Um, I was a gifted uh, student. I was in advanced classes, cared a little bit about it, and as soon as I was doing that stuff, I was straight down. And um, I actually uh, the last grade I finished it was ninth, and I got a GED, which would have been my tenth year. So uh -huh. I'm kind of embarrassed because I'm a smart guy and I'm well read. I, yeah. You know. I, I could have done much more with an education. Yeah. Well, I was never in advanced class. So okay. I feel better. <laughs> I was like, because I hear a lot of people who are like, a lot of alcoholics and sober people, they're like, yeah, I was actually really smart. I was in advanced classes until I, and I, me, I was never in any kind of advanced classes. I was just so all over the place and I couldn't focus. I was, I'm probably ABV, but, you know, that's and I, back then, <laughs> back then we didn't call it AD, um, we called it a, uh, hyperactive. Mm -hmm. So I was on those kind of drugs, um, Flexeril and, um, not Flexeril, uh, Dexedrine and Elevil. No idea. Um, it was like a speed, yeah. which would slow me down. Yeah. The um, same thing with Adderall's a speed. I guess. Yeah. yeah. That was the Adderall of its day. Yeah. And without that, um, the teachers couldn't handle me. You know, I'm all over the place. I'm acting out. And, um, when I was on that medication, it seemed to help. I yeah. was able to get through a school day without a call home. Yeah. I'll tell you what, whenever I did do, uh, I got on Adderall. I, I talked this doctor into giving me Adderall once, and I was the most responsible person with my finances for like <coughs> three months. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had a I had a spreadsheet. Then you peaked. <laughs> I was like, man, I am like maybe you know I, that's all I need, and maybe I, I I'll go back to school and be in advanced classes if I can. <laughs> I just need drugs as yeah. an enhancement. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, but they weren't. They didn't enhance my life. Uh, but um. Yeah, so after that, I just, um, you know, just I, it would be like we would drink a little bit on the weekends. And at Monday at school, you know, the other kids would be talking about what they're going to do Friday night. Well, I distinctly remember thinking, what are we going to do tonight? 
Mm. And I can't go a week. I can't go from Monday to Friday to wait for the party to happen. I wanted the party to happen, you know, every day. Yeah. And that happened quickly to me. It really did. Um, so about 16, I'm um, smoking weed all day. I'm not working. I'm stealing money at my mama's purse. And um, she just said, if you're not working or going to school, you can't live here any longer. You know, and thank God that she did that. Um, so she packed my little bags up, and I was homeless at, um, I think I just made 16. Wow. Right, and I moved in with my girlfriends, her and her mother. Okay. And Man of the house. Man of the house. And <laughs> I, I got a job, but I don't think I've ever been unemployed wow. since that time. Oh, you know, so okay. thank God my mother wasn't funded or would finance my, um, my drug and alcohol yeah. usage. You know, she wouldn't have any part of it, and that was the best thing she ever did for me. Yeah. Hard. But I know now. Tough I can love. Look, it was, and I don't think we talked for about three or four months, and I loved my mother, you know, and that was really hard, but I was mad at her, and, you know, I couldn't understand why she was doing that. When, when I, did you realize that it was, it was like, a good move? Was it when I was 50. Got- <laughs> 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 no, I mean, it, but it was probably in my 20s when I started getting a career together yeah. and realizing that, um, you know, I had some good tools. Yeah. I wasn't applying them, and she noticed that and wanted to make sure that um, I would do that, which... Being homeless, at least on my case, it made me, you know, I, I want to drink and drug. I have yeah. to go make the money. Well, kudos to mom. It was. She yeah. was. A t- she just died in November, and um, oh. yeah, she was an alcoholic as well. But she got an alcoholic later in life when I was a teenager, and um, she started doing diazepam, you know, Valiums and stuff, and um, I guess struggling with her own depression and mental stuff, you know, which back then you didn't talk about. Hmm. You know, I mean, alcoholism. Wasn't even talked about in my family with my dad, which was odd. What did they say? Which, you know, he's down on his luck or he's depressed. And I just remember they had a bar around the corner from us, Freddie's Bar. And um, she would say on the way home from school, I'd ride my bike, you know, ride by there, see if your dad's car is there when he's supposed to be out looking for a job. And for a young kid, yeah. you know what's, what time it is. You know, like, why would he be there when, you know, we have no money? Yeah. You know, it was just, um, yeah. And I'm not the only one to go through that. Yeah, but it's uh, funny kids are astute like that. They, you know, you, I always know. Like, I would. Uh, I don't know that my dad was an alcoholic, but that was definitely a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. And you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money either. We actually were same story. My grandparents paid for us to go to private school, so we were like the poor kids in right. rich school. But like, I'd see my my parents would would buy, you know, booze, wine, liquor, and I we would always I would always go. I can't believe we're buying this, and we can't buy my chocolate krispies. Doesn't make sense. You know? Doesn't add up. Now yeah. it does. Yeah. You know, um, after, you, after you get into that, you realize how important that is. Yeah. That's, that's more important yeah. than um, chocolate crisps. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. Like, I'm not labeling my dad as an alcoholic. I would say that he definitely had, you know, his problems. But Well, my dad definitely did. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't know if there was drugs involved. Like I said, he was out of my life really at 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and he would pop up once a year and it was really awkward for us to see him because he hadn't sent any money home mm-hmm. and my mother did a wonderful job of never bashing him yeah um and i just knew that he was struggling you know and he was always drinking beer when he'd pick us up he'd pick my sister up and we'd have to go ride around to see his friends or something and it was just very awkward and uncomfortable wow. and then i found out later he um he had an affair with a, a lady down in morgan city and had a child wow. with her this is a weird story, kind of going off on a tangent, but he had a child with her, and she died during childbirth. And this girl reached out to me about 15 years ago. I just got a letter in the mail. Crazy. And I kind of remember my mother arguing with my dad about him seeing another woman on the phone, but I didn't know about, you know, that she had passed and all that. And yeah. So, um, and that's when I guess, you know, he took his life. It just got overwhelming. Um, he had that's another family, another child that he couldn't pay for. Wow. He couldn't find um, employment. You know, he killed himself in a motel in Moscow, Tennessee. You know, so that's so tragic. It, it, yeah, and it, it deeply affected me. I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I was thinking well, he was a non-entity. He wasn't part of my life anyway. Yeah. You know, I wasn't happy, but um, you know, I don't. I, I was never close with him, and I wish um, I wish I had been. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, that you probably carry forever. Yeah. You know? I've resolved a lot of it um, recently, last few years, through the steps, yeah. you know, and seeing things from a different perspective and all. And um, um, thank God for that. And yeah. I have no hatred for him, or no anger or resentment. I feel um, incredibly sad that he didn't. Um, it is. 
had the opportunity that I had. I don't know if it was available to him or not. And I, you know, I don't know how this happened to me and not him. And, you know, that's all kind of confusing. And your mom, like not never bashing him. No, just Mm -mm. taking, you know, she sounds like she was an incredible woman. She was, she was. And, um, yeah, like, and she had Alzheimer's for the last 15, 16 years. And so I had her in a nursing home and I was in, I'm in complete charge of her finances and her care and all that. So it was a pretty, um, thank you that I recovered. Yeah. That I was able to step up and, and be the, the man of the time. family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I had done my sister who, um, was a complicated, she was a valedictorian at, at a, at a Catholic girls high school, Chappelle. She went to Loyola. She didn't drop out like I did. <laughs> and, um, she was always on a path to excel. Yeah. And at about, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old, she just, she went down and she never recovered. Wow. And she died in 06 um, from an overdose, maybe suicide. She was in bad shape. Yeah. You know, so um, I got a family of four, um, two of them dead from alcoholism and or drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, and my mother probably had her alcoholism and use of um, diazepam might have uh, and sped up her Alzheimer's. Yeah. You know, because she started getting Alzheimer's at, at 60, wow. 60, early 60s. So, yeah, so I, I feel incredibly blessed and lucky that I was able to make it through that. Yeah. I'm not sure why or how. I don't question that anymore. But um, you know the level I do <laughs> recovery yeah. that I'm pretty, uh, you know, I don't take it for granted. Yeah, well, there's obviously, you know, you have you have a purpose for something. Yes, yeah. and, and I don't know, I'm not sure what that is, but um, I've made it out of that. Yeah. And um, I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless disease, and um, I'm pretty excited about that and have been for a long time. Yeah, well... So where were we? We were at uh, So in my 20s. 20s. In my yeah. 20s, I get a job um, at the airport. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. You've been doing that. That's your... Yes. <laughs> I was a teenager, and my roommate, um, Billy G, uh-huh. whose name's, father's name's on one of our recovery centers here. Wow. We were best friends, and he got a job at the airport and um, got me a job like the next day. And it has turned into um, a career, yeah, a career that um, that I've enjoyed. I don't get up every morning hating my job. Nice. Um, some mornings, but um, I'm incredibly lucky to have something that I somewhat like and I tolerate, and it's uh, afforded me um, to be able to be self-supporting through my own contributions. Thankfully, yeah. um, so I had a, even through all that in my dr- my drinking and drugging, I had a work ethic, and. Um, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Which I imagine can be like confusing. It is. That, you know, you're still like making money and working hard. So like it, can, it has to be hard <laughs> to like see yourself as an alcoholic I remember, or a drug addict. Like, I'm going to speed up a little bit, yeah. but I'll go back. But when I, when I checked into the treatment center, yeah. I checked into um, the treatment center at um, about 536 o'clock on a Friday evening. And um, the counselor said, where'd you come from? I said, I came from work. And he just kind of laughed. He goes, nobody does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who does? You came straight from work to yeah. treatment. And then I started being confused. I'm like, well, maybe I don't belong here and all. And, and mm. he was just very gracious. And, he's, you know, he's like, no, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just said, that's just odd, you know. <laughs> and I didn't realize how odd it was until I got into the recovery community. Nobody does that. Yeah. You know, and my, believe me, my life was burned down. So I get this job and um, I start having some success in it. And um, I think I started out there in 1977. So I'm 42 years uh-huh. at this same career, more or less. Um, and then the 80s um, started making some money and we um, started partying heavy, never missing work. And I guess a sponsor calls it failing upwards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing more alcohol and drugs, but I'm, my career is going. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm spiking upwards. I'm making more money. So it's it's hard to see that. Um like when I used to tell my story, I used to call myself a high bottom, and it's, yeah. that sounds arrogant. It does. It, it, it does, but, but but it's I, kind of the truth, you know. It's well, a, well, it isn't. But I think what it did, it how it hurt me and negatively um, affected me, it was that it kept me out longer than it should have. Mm-hmm. I should have got sober ten years before I did. Yeah. But because I'm going to work and I'm paying some bills, it made it seem like I didn't have the problem. Failing upwards. Uh, yeah, and I definitely had the problem. And now I've met countless people who have the same story. 
you know, yeah. who are going to work every day, but they're sold dead and they can't establish relationships and they're having problems, you know, in all areas of their life. Yeah. Just because you go to work and you pay some bills doesn't mean that um, you're not qualified <laughs> yeah. to change your life and get sober. Mm-hmm. And thank God I saw that. Yeah. So I just mentioned that usually when I'm speaking, just so anybody that has that and doesn't think they belong, come, you know, come talk to yeah, me. Yeah, because all you hear is like, man, I was off, fresh off the street, no I'm li- shoes. I'm living under the overpass. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, selling like, blood. <laughs> yeah. Even, even I, I mean, I, even I didn't necessarily relate with some, <clears throat> I went to treatment and everybody was a heroin addict, one. And then, you know, I was, you know, 29 and I feel like I was a pretty, I, it was a very emotional low bottom, I think. Uh, I didn't have a job, though, but I always thought that I, I could have gone a lot further, you know. And I and I found myself comparing myself, I found that I was comparing myself to others and thinking, well, I'm not that bad. Which is natural. Yes, we, we all do. Right. You know, and you're always going to be maybe not as, like, you know, materially or outwardly appearing no. bad as somebody you know right and you're probably going to be worse off than somebody else no and that just blocked me yeah. from opening up to change the way i thought about everything mm-hmm. you know i used to measure myself on on, on working and success and you know I, I would drug and drink so hard but then i'm at work early in the morning and i'm, I'm you know i feel like i'm like i'm kicking ass yeah and, I'm, and every aspect of my personal life is 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 dark and nasty especially well, in the last years how how old were you when you when you got sober? Thirty seven. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't. I should have been twenty seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should have been seventeen. I, like, yeah. For me, like drinking and going out, like at the end, it was just like I I couldn't have made it to thirty seven. Well, good. <laughs> Thank God. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and making it to work. Yeah. Shit. Um. And that's you know, I'm absolutely an alcoholic, but I give a shout out to yeah. opiates. Because, oh. you know, they certainly accelerated my oh. downward spiral. Mine and, too. And got me into treatment. Well, yeah. You know, quickly. I'm not quickly, but um, the 80s was a lot of drinking and a lot of cocaine. Yeah. Um, you know, we would do that all the time. It wasn't addictive back then. No. Um, <laughs> we just we just looked for it every night. Um, <laughs> I, my friend Scott, you know, we, we, we he had a big job too, you know, in um, high stress. We'd go out on Thursday night. It would be like ladies night. And I'd give him the speech. Um, all right, two drinks, we roll. All right? <laughs> I'd say, repeat it. And he would say, all right, Van, two drinks. I'm like, no cocaine. He goes, oh, no, i got to be to work at 4 in the morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then we'd get to the bar after a drink. I'd see him rolling out the front door with somebody. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's 3.15, and I'm rushing him home, you know, and um, I'm taking a shower. And Straight to work. It was horrible, yeah. you know. And Ugh. then That sounds... It, it, so gross it was right now. It, it does <laughs> like the it does I, yeah. and it, it seemed fun yeah until um it didn't yeah. you know like i'm i was telling somebody the other day that uh i had all of these great experiences on drug and alcohol but if i would inventory my years every bad experience was due to my drinking and drugging mm-hmm. you know if i had a failed relationship if i had an accident if i missed a deadline at work um anything like that was always because drugs and alcohol had played a part in that. Yeah. And I can see that now where those last few years, all I would do was inventory the good times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, I had this all fun. And, um, yeah. you know, and it just, um, I started dabbling in opiates, I guess, in the late 80s. Yeah. Opiates for me, I, I started doing Roxy's at the end. They didn't have those. Before. And that was, that was really what spiraled mm-hmm. me down to the point mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, like I, I, I lost my job. I couldn't get a job. I lost my apartment in, in Baton Rouge. And then I moved here, and I just could not get it together. Thank God. No, absolutely. And I, when I say I give a shout-out, I, yeah. I thank them because they ch- it's changed the whole trajectory of my life. They brought me down and got me to a place um, where I knew I was either going to commit kill myself or I was going to change for the better. And thank God that I changed for the better, and my whole life has been wonderful since that happened. But yeah. um, those last few years when I started um, with the opiates <clears throat> and physically became addicted, it was horrible. Mm. It was horrible because I'm— I'm doing, I'm going to work in the morning and I, my last year I, you know, I'd get in the shower at six. I was living in Covington and, um, I would do two or three pills and I would drink beer on the way to work yeah. and do breath mints That's and I would a work good. a full day, yeah. but then I'm, I'm doing the pills and I'm going out at night to try to find more and making calls and, and trying to go on your lunch break yeah. and like oh, trying no. to catch some before you go into work. That's, oh. the, that's such a like, oh. it was, it was a horrible existence, yeah. <laughs> which 
recovery has given me an opportunity to um, continually uh, relive my early um, recovery and that last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it so much that I've never forgotten it. Yeah. I, can, uh, I can reach out and touch my bottom. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely has to be part of why it's so effective that where we can remember, we continually to have to like re re not like hash it up and dwell and, and, and sit in it, you know, but we share it as, as, as hope, but we were, when we were minded, you know, I've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking yeah. <laughs> about how I, uh, I trashed my life. Yeah. You know, I saw a little sign the other day. It says, um, you know, you ever throw something away and then realize you needed it? And the guy it goes, huh, I did that with my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, which it makes sense if you're in recovery. Yeah. Because you can see people who are bright, shining lights and they're wonderful people <laughs> and they've totally thrown their life away. Yeah. You know, it's sad. But um, those last few years, um, it was horrible. Mm. And um, I got into this relationship with this beautiful girl. And um, Lisa, my current never believed me now she's been with me for 20 years she believes it i was so controlling that she never saw it the problem she knew i always drank always had a beer and i'd smoke weed at night uh-huh. she didn't see the opiate issues for what it was because at that point they're only making me normal yeah and if i ran out or was sick or was detoxing i would make an excuse not to be with her yeah now i was sick all the time you know but um in those last few years we were supposed to well, i'll cut the story short but we're supposed to buy a house together marry have children and stuff and I was going to get sober. I didn't tell her this. I was just going to do it on a, like I could just magically just, you know, yeah. make a decision and not do this anymore because I wanted to have a life with her and I couldn't pull that together. And she hammered down. She was like, what's going on? Let's go to counseling. And I got honest with her. And then she demanded that I go to treatment and that mm-hmm. she would hang in there. But of course, um, it's never a good time to get sober. Yeah. And I kept making excuses and she wrote me a letter and poof, she was out of my life. Which was amazing, and thank I, I got to make amends to her twelve years later, (laughs) and thank God she did that. And she just said that she couldn't sit there and watch that happening. You know, it was like a train wreck. Yeah, her watching me and knowing the kind of person I I could be, and that that was ruining my life. And once I got honest, I you know I couldn't hide it. Yeah, it's so crazy how most of the time, sorry, it's always always in hindsight, but like. Those types of experiences, you know, a a, 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 a fiance leaving or, you know, person you're buying a house with leaving, your mom kicking you out, making you homeless, you know, getting to the point, like all those experiences, you look back and you go, oh, because of that experience, this happened, you know, and there's always like, you can look at it and be like, thank God that happened. <laughs> you don't think that at the time. No, never. You know, cause I missed her desperately. Yeah. Um, and I kept thinking that I, I would get her back. And when I actually checked in the treatment, I don't know, nine or 10 months later, I had, um, I had a, a girl that worked for me call her, you know, say Vance in treatment. Yeah. And she had already know. moved on with her life. Yeah. You know, she said, tell him good luck. And, um, but you know, mm. I've moved on. Yeah. And thank God she did. You know. Yeah. So, um, I got sober in August, um, of 96. Um, I checked into a treatment center on August 15th okay. of 96 and, um, Sat in the parking lot, had never had any experience with recovery. Um, ate my last few Vicodins, drank two hot beers, and I, was, I just remember this. I remember exactly where I was parked, and I was crying, just thinking, i just go home and kill myself. Huh. You know, why, how is this going to work? Um, but I had met a guy that worked there through a whole other story. My best friend, Scott, who you know, he, yeah. um, he had been forcibly sent to treatment yeah. years earlier. He didn't stay sober. He stayed sober for a while, but I had met this guy through him. And I really liked the guy. He was, he was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He had 20, 25 years at the time. And he, I just found him easy to talk to. Mm. So when I called him, he's like, yeah, come on. Let's, you know. And he was very instrumental in me going to treatment and staying in treatment. Oh, okay. So. All right, well, cool. Well, then that's the, if our our, our uh, regular listeners know <laughs> that that is the point where we take a quick break, we'll be right back. All right, we're back from break. Uh, and we last left off 
with Van in a car, two hot beers, and a handful of pills. Yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, I remember that night, like I just said, you know, I was, spoke about it so many times, but um, you go into treatment center and it's just like, wow, you know, do it, is this the right move? Or, you know, should I go home? Mm. You know, oh, <laughs> can I get this under control? Um, I is remember this too th- drastic? I, I, I thought I overreacted when they checked me in the room because they, yeah. I remember James Oliver, I loved him. He was very instrumental um, in my early sobriety. He worked there. And, he took my um, my expensive watch and my cologne away. Uh-huh. You know, the first 10 minutes I'm there. And I remember th- when I walked through the room, there was about 15, 16 clients, and it was like two cute girls. Oh, so I'm thinking I may need those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm close to killing myself, but then I'm thinking I got to show them I got game. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fucking checking into a treatment center, and I'm, you know, thinking about that's the first thing you think, right? About, yeah. yeah, that's normal, right? Yeah, one hundred. You know? It's normal for people like us. We yeah, don't know. I know. You know? <laughs> and then I, I remember telling him that first night they had a meeting um, that would come into the facility, and um, I couldn't attend because I was uh, not sober. Oh, he told you that? Yeah. Oh, wow. He said, "When did you use?" I said, I, uh, "Half hour ago." <laughs> mm. You know, I wasn't wasted. Yeah, uh, that was just me being normal. Yeah. Um, I had done my last. <sighs> just to backtrack a little bit, my last drug purchase was um, probably four months prior to that. I bought $2,500 2500 Vicodin pills mm-hmm. for about $7,000. I had to break into my 401k. And the impact of that story is that when I got home, I got these baggies full of this opiate that I love, and my house is full of alcohol, and I'm crying. And I'm done like, I can't believe I did that. You know, yeah. to get money out of your 401k, you got to lie and you got to make statements that aren't true. Yeah. You know, and it that's just, an extreme measure. It was. And I had yeah. promised myself I would never buy another drug. And yeah. um, I didn't. I did those last ones in the parking lot of River Oaks. Um, so that, you know, I knew that there was something drastically wrong yeah. if I'm doing that stuff. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, I think, but I mean, I, 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 I drained my 401k too you know? <laughs> but not like I, I didn't like specifically go out and buy seven thousand pills at once seven thousand dollars worth of twenty five hundred yeah at once you know i bought probably that amount you know yeah. over a stretch of yeah. time yeah but i drained every bit of like all access to money was like no it was drained. horrible yeah it was horrible and um I, mean, I went there and I, and I was already annoyed mm-hmm. they took my watch and uh, my cologne and then i couldn't go to the meeting so he was already separating me. Yeah. Well, I will say this real quick. So if anybody's out there listening, if you have used a drug or, or drank and you want to go to a 12-step meeting, go. You can go. That doesn't mean you can't go. That's probably just a treatment center rule. It was extremely, yeah. It wasn't it was just recovery the, rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just, well, I couldn't really, he couldn't mix with the patients, oh, okay, which yeah. it could have been a safety issue. And I understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I, I didn't feel unsafe, but they can't gauge how loaded you are, how you're going to react. I don't know you. So it's the right move for them to make. Yeah. And then the next day, um, when I'm in the treatment center and detoxing, we went to a meeting, um, in the treatment center that night. And I remember at the time they had 12 or 13 clients and there was probably 25 people at the meeting and being the smart guy that I am, I realized that people were coming from the outside. Yeah. Very astute. Yes. Yeah. they, They didn't get past me. And I was very offended by that. I remember telling this guy, James, that um, I said, man, yeah, I can't have that. I got this big job, you know, in my mind. Yeah. I don't want people knowing I'm in here. And he said, well, let's just pack up then. Maybe go home because this is all we have to offer you. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't play around. He really didn't. This and is I'm, the guy that yeah, you liked. I did. Not before. then. <laughs> not at that night, you know. Uh, but he was, I, I got to know him for the last five or six years of his life. And he was, um, he was great. You know, he was an old wise guy, 30 years sober. Yeah. Um, gr- I wish the treatment centers had people like that in them now. Because mm. believe me, when you went to an outside meeting, you didn't act out. Yeah. You know, he would, <laughs> you didn't want his um, looking at you, pointing at you, telling you to sit down, shut up. You know, that's what he would do. Yeah. Um, which huh. they don't do nowadays. Yeah. He, is he, uh, was, so, but he was a, 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 a count, like a certified he, counselor he was, or whatever? I don't know if he was certified. I don't know if he had the yeah. education. He was like the night guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, thirty years sober. Thirty years sober, and I was just telling, uh, I was telling Lisa to said that uh, if you realized, you know, back then, which in late nineties, not mid nineties, 
the people that worked in the treatment center were members of a 12-step fellowship, Alcoholics Anonymous or NA, and they were older. They had Mm -hmm. retired. They had long-term. Now you see the people working there usually three to five years. If they're, yeah, if they are members, they're like fresh, a year even. Which is odd. The whole thing has changed. Yeah, and then the, the, the people making decisions a lot of times aren't, sober necessarily right just you know right they got a job just regular right when got a social work degree working stiffs exactly yeah so when he took and i I, it's it's amazing because as i've shared i'm smart i didn't realize it was a 12-step based (laughs) recovery i just knew it was a hospital and they may have something to offer me yeah and i can remember during intake when um that guy i like lambert who's actually my first sponsor. He was, you know, he's asking you the questions and, you know, how much you take and you always, you know, you lie and all that. And I remember him was filling out the form and I asked him that if I complete this program and do what was suggested, would my obsession to you drink and take drugs be removed? I don't know if I used you that were, verbiage. I was say, you worded that like that? I don't that? think, I don't think I did. <laughs> I just said, I couldn't understand how that would be removed because yeah. I, I love getting loaded. And that was, you know... That's how I live my life mm-hmm. every every minute for the last decade. And um, he didn't even look up from the paper. He just said, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that proved true, which I didn't believe that night. Yeah. You know, and um, so I got over my um, my anxiety by going to meetings and seeing outside people. Yeah. Um, Who are in the same meeting you're in. But you don't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember, like, when I went to treatment, um, I told... Um, my work people that I was going on a fishing vacation and I'm, I was in a fishing community. I still am. I told them I was going on a work trip, you know, yeah. although I did tell my boss yeah. that I was going to get help. And, um, cause I didn't want anybody to know. And I remember the, the mode of thought I had at that point was, well, I don't want to get out of here. And then somebody see me drinking a beer and say, Hey, didn't, didn't you, didn't you go yeah. to, <laughs> yeah. didn't you detox and go to, um, treatment? Yeah. I didn't want that. So I didn't tell anybody told two or three scott knew my boss knew um and a girl that um that had worked for me for a a decade yeah um who pushed me into it kind of um i pulled up to work one day 7 30 in the morning and she's like look can i use your truck to go meet my husband at he was at a mechanic shop Mm -hmm. i said sure she had done that before and i go sit at my desk and she came right back in and she's got a beer in her hand that's still cold she's like you drinking beer at seven in the morning and I'm like, so oh, cold. yeah, I was just shocked. I forgot I left it in the cup holder. And she closed the door and she goes, she had tears in her eyes. She goes, if you're this out of control, I'm calling. Something. You know, she was going to call my, my boss, which was, you know, hundreds of miles away wow. and tell him something because you need help. And I'm like, I do need help. And I think I was in treatment, you know, two weeks after that. Wow. But I'll never forget that. Seven <laughs> in the morning. That's not normal. It's still cold. It's still cold. It had to sweat on it. Inspector. Yeah. She, she, was, she was. She um, was very astute as well. She was. Her husband <laughs> had had gotten sober like a couple of years before, oh. who I got to know. And um, no, no, she knew, and she knew I had a problem. She just didn't know how bad. Yeah. And but when you see that, like yeah. I would do my breath, my breath mints and all. So, I did nine days. And that did the trick, huh? Well, it seemed, you know, on the Vicodins, uh, it would hike me up. Mm-hmm. It would like kind of energize me. Yeah. So I'd go in there and work and be a little talkative maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, I would work hard and at lunchtime I'd go and, you know, do a couple of tall boy beers. Yeah. And I'd pill up again. And I'd you know, I'd probably do five to ten during my work day. Yeah. And then at night, you know, do whatever I wanted to do. Hmm. And be back at it. And that lasted for a decade. Wow. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, I remember I would drink vodka at work and because you know, one of the great delusions of all alcoholics is that vodka doesn't smell <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> and i that is like not true i and i remember like the 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 cute girl that worked the front desk uh came in and she said it smells like alcohol in here and i freaked out yes and i was like oh and i and i quickly like said oh yeah it's purell yeah or something <laughs> <laughs> and i'm slurring my words cuz yeah, all the purell pure, i had it's, it's purell. <laughs> yeah no, so that, yeah, it was, um, and I had known, I mean, you know, I was dying on the inside and, you know, my life had become dark. Um, you know, I started doing IV heroin mm-hmm. at that last year after a girl had left. I hate that I'm backtracking, but, um, that's how bad it got. Yeah. I got a mid-level management job where I'm traveling. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing IV heroin. Wow. Um, and I remember the rule I would make 
that um, I would only do the heroin on Saturday. Yeah. But well, that was. Let me tell you, if you scored it on Monday, that's not a good plan. No, because <laughs> you you don't get you don't get a Tuesday. <laughs> no. And then I mean, shit. I mean, if you wouldn't have got sober, it would have become heroin would have overtaken your life. Absolutely. Completely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember thinking that it would. So yeah. I do nine days of treatment. Um, I was supposed to do, I think, 14. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I, I just said, I got to go. And they talked me into and doing an aftercare program, mm. which means you go to work during the day and you come back to the facility between 6 and 730 and you do group and you work steps, um, you know, out of a workbook. And I did that and I graduated at 60 days. And um, the, the key point to that was that it indoctrinated me a little bit into going to meetings because yeah. you would do your aftercare and they would have a meeting at the facility and they would expect you to attend that meeting, which I didn't do every night, um, but I would do a couple of times a week, um, not really believing in it or anything. And at 60 days, I still don't. I just started it. I forgot to start the timer, so I just started it from 15 on just counting down. Okay. okay. I think we've been about 10 or 15. Huh? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't particularly like or believe in the 12-step programs. You know, I'm a pretty devout atheist at that point. Um, matter of fact, when I got so, when I, right before I got sober, I was reading a lot of anti-God stuff. Yeah. Um, As we do. Yes. Yeah, searching <laughs> to prove my point. Yeah. Um, and at 60 days, I remember uh, the decision was that um, once I left the aftercare program, I would try to do it on my own. And at the very least, I think my back plan was um, smoke weed and do yoga, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, thank God I never got to that. But when I, I graduated and you know, they give you a little certificate and you say a little speech in front of your client, the other people in treatment. And then um, I remember telling Lambert, who was the counselor, that I thanked him, I hugged him, and I said, you won't see me anymore, which means I wouldn't be going from the outside to those meetings at the facility. Mm -hmm. And I thought he'd give me a little speech, you know, about what you really need, you know. But he'd already given me that speech in the 60 days Yeah, I was there. So he just said, okay, you know, Van, I figured that. Good luck. You know, whatever. It was kind of nonchalant, which I found odd. I thought he'd put the AA speech on yeah. me, and he didn't. But um, the <laughs> next day he called me at work, and he says, look, why don't you come by tonight? and talk to me, you know, and I'm like, okay, I, I liked the guy. I really did. He was, uh, you know, a lo really lovable guy, very calm. Like you wanted him to convince you. I so did. You like, I did. Didn't convince, but no, there was something. He, played, he, 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 he <laughs> Jedi mind tricked you. He did. He did. So I, I get back to the facility at night and he's got a whole new set of clients. He's behind glass. He's got his little folders. And I'm like, you know, dude, I'm behind the glass. I'm like, I'll call you. I don't want to interrupt your group. And he says, no, come on in. And as soon as I walked in, he's like, this is Van. He's sober 60 days. He's going to tell you how he did it. And he just kind of winked at me, and he left the room. Oh, man. So that was the first time I had to tell people <laughs> that weren't in my group <laughs> yeah. that I'm Van, I'm an alcoholic drug addict, and this is how, you know, the 12-step program has saved my life, which I didn't even believe in. Yeah. And I don't know what I said. I said a bunch of mumbo-jumbo <laughs> yeah. and stuff I had heard yeah. at the few meetings I had attended. And um, I just remember leaving that night, and um, it wasn't white light experience. It wasn't like it, but it just felt like that felt different than what I had done and that I may be able to go a little further. And I started attending a few meetings and I, I was telling somebody this about a month ago that I was going to one or two meetings a week. I never did 90 meetings in 90 days, what they, which they suggest, but I had met a few guys, um, that just changed everything for me. They were, um, very welcoming. They were very enthusiastic. And I didn't believe in any of the stuff in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't believe in the steps. I didn't believe in God. But I believed that they had the same problem I had and that they had a solution yeah. that I needed. And I wasn't all in, but I, I, if I sat home and didn't go to a meeting, I went to work, I would just sit at home wanting to get loaded. Mm. I mean, I'd literally look at the clock and say, okay, what do I do now? What do I do now? I didn't even know how to talk on the phone or go to the grocery store or do anything without being loaded. So the smart guy that I am, I found that if I did go to work and then I went to a meeting, my day would pass by faster and that um, I get a little bit of relief from the constant wanting to get loaded in my head. And um, that's when I met these people and yeah. they were just, um, they were just wonderful, beautiful, shining examples of what recovery should look like. And their spirit of generosity uh, was not lost on me. 
because hmm. I must have been hard to deal with because I didn't believe in anything. I wasn't sponsored at the time. I hadn't done any steps other than a treatment center. But you yeah, were they, a, a high bottom. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. This guy, Dirty Harry, when he, you know, I, I remember telling him about all my accomplishments, you know, <laughs> my job, you know, I got this house and boat, you know, I got this and all that. And he just laughed and slapped me on the back. He goes, man, you're going to be fucking perfect for this. <laughs> he goes, you're so full of shit. Oh, wow. It, it was, you know, and I was kind of offended. That's but so good. It was, but I liked him, and, um, you know. Yeah. Um, I had a new vehicle. He had an old raggedy car, and um, he started, like, you know, let's go to a meeting tonight. And I kind of liked hanging with him. Yeah. He was a guy that was gregarious and he was, you know, full of shit, but he knew everybody, it seemed, in the, in the recovery community. Yeah. So every meeting we'd go to, he knew everybody. Yeah. He was just a guy you couldn't miss. You know, and years later, I, I, I had conflict with him because he wasn't doing it, you know, properly, yeah. in my opinion, which is funny now. But um, he was a miracle worker for people that were new in sobriety. Yeah. And in the, those rides to the meetings, Little by little, he just chipped away at my ego to where I was just kind of accepting. And, you know, um, it was a beautiful thing. The first year seemed um, so awkward, uncomfortable, and annoying. But um, when I look back on it now, it was just a whole bunch of spiritual experiences. You know, different people I met, things I got asked to do. Um, you know, I started making coffee at one group. I got handed a cocaine anonymous meeting at like 90 days. I showed up. Nobody was there. I called a guy. And he came and gave me some chips and some pamphlets that it was your meeting. And I'm like, well, I'm not coming back here. And I, I ended up doing that meeting for seven years. Wow. You know, which, seven years. yeah, you know, putting out chairs, making coffee, collecting the money. I was, you know, everything. And um, we had a, we had a vibrant home group because of, um, I was so enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to be going out into the AA community and getting uh, stronger people to come moderate. Yeah. And during that time, people would be attracted to what we had going on and it was a different kind of recovery than they were used to mm-hmm. and it was kind of fun and we would chant <laughs> at the readings and you know just do all kind of stuff that would i would frown upon now oh yeah but um <laughs> but, oh, i know i know the chants i think i've heard them yeah they're funny they were when you first hear them you're like oh blasphemy i know <laughs> yeah you know it's um you know um yeah, yeah but anyway those were amazing experiences and i'm, I'm glad even against my cynicism and my better judgment that I opened up and said, okay, you know, what do we do? And at about seven months at that point, I had a guy had appointed himself my sponsor. I had started actively working the steps and, um, things were changing. And I remember driving to work and, um, just playing music, singing, and just couldn't wait to go to work and go to a meeting that night. You know, so that's just what a, what a vast change in seven months from who I was before. You know, so it's, um, yeah, the first year, um, it seems magical now. Yeah. That in the, at the time it was horrible. Yeah. You know, I, I had no girlfriend. I wasn't getting laid. <laughs> I was missing my old lifestyle. <laughs> A bunch of my old friends had just distanced themselves from me, mm-hmm. which hurt my feelings. Yeah. Because I was sober, and that's our relationships were built on you know sporting events and drinking and drugs. Yeah. And uh, I was no longer able to do that. Nor was I comfortable around that, and they knew that. Yeah. So they just stopped calling me. So I kind of had to get into, um, and it was CA for the seven years, but I was also doing a load of AA, mm-hmm. um, which was wonderful. Um, you know, like I said, I met some people that were just, um, just shining lights that I was attracted to. Yeah. And slowly but surely, um, I started to believe and I drank the Kool-Aid and, um, everything started to change. I remember my first sponsor when I, um, we went to do a second and third step and I didn't believe in God. So I, one, I thought we'd just skip those because it wasn't necessary if I don't believe in God. And I knew that he would make you kneel and do the third step prayer. And I'm like, well, we'll just eliminate that. You don't mm-hmm. do that if you don't believe in God. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to his house <laughs> and, um, I said, well, I don't believe in God. And he just didn't care. You know, he yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. okay, that's fine. That's your understanding of God is that you don't understand it or you don't believe it. Um, so now we're going to do the third step prayer. And I'm like, well, you know, that doesn't. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. But when he said, we're going to get on our knees, I just said, okay. okay. So we held yeah. hands, <laughs> which seemed silly and awkward and did the third step prayer. And, um, he gave me my little assignment for the fourth step, which is a written fearless and moral inventory. And I remember getting in my truck that night thinking, okay, I just did something very uncomfortable to help me stay sober. So, um, I didn't necessarily believe in that, but something, you know, I was doing uncomfortable things yeah. and I wasn't taking drugs or drinking. So believe me, I didn't know that then, but now so, I can look back on it. 
those were all things that just was you know well so it wasn't a, no white dove fell on your no, forehead no no flew right into your not face. at all matter of fact after we did the third step and we just kind of shooting the breeze as i walked in my truck he just says i i know you don't believe but the step you know are you willing yeah and i'm like well yeah I, i'm willing he says well let's revisit it when you get to the 12th step yeah and when we got to the 12th step um it wasn't you know i wasn't jumping for jesus but something had shifted yeah and there was an energy that i felt that i was more or less tapping into that was changing my life you know slowly so um you don't have to believe you don't have to have a, a religious god yeah and i thought the program was religious and it felt cult-like those first month yeah. the first month or two you know holding the hands saying yeah. the prayer and all that but it's the you know it's probably by the definition a cult huh no, it's it's <laughs> antithetical to a cult because <laughs> nobody's in charge. You don't have to recruit people. And they don't yeah. ask you for, for any money. So yeah, right. if it is a cult, it's the most poorly run cult in the world. There you, you go. Know, because, like yeah, nobody's in charge. and <laughs> You don't have to do anything. If you go home and don't come anymore, you might get a few phone calls, but nobody's coming to knock yeah, on your people door. People seeking for a cult would be disappointed. They would probably. be. <laughs> they would say how poorly run we are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was going to mention one thing. I just wanted to comment on I. I've never considered how morbid the phrase drank the Kool-Aid is. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and when I, like if I get a new guy at my house and um, I've got to tone down my enthusiasm because yeah. I know that if he does what we're suggesting, mm. everything's going to change for yeah. him. His whole world's going to shift. Yeah. You know, literally that one day when I made a decision, the trajectory of my life changed yeah. dramatically, which I didn't think was possible. Yeah. But I think the the enthusiasm is I don't yeah I guess it can scare, scare scare people off but I feel like it's very genuine though usually and I I I'll be honest with you when when you you when you share with enthusiasm it it resonates well thank you I feel you know and I feel that because that's you 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 genuinely genuinely believe or it's genuinely had an experience through this I did you know and that transmits man there's no denying that. When you have like, when you actually have it and you're not just like regurgitating. No. Like, like you probably were in that group, you know. What's, what's, I guess my enthusiasm, you know, what's happened to me is so powerful and transformative. I have to speak about it, mm -hmm. which could scare some people. Yeah. And that hasn't been everybody's experience. You know, I know people that's been sober. I'm 22 and a half years now that don't have that. And you know, they, their lives have been changed and they live in wonderful lives and they, they go to their one meeting a week and the world is a better place because they're they got sober and alcoholics anonymous or narcotics yeah. anonymous or whatever in my case it um i have to be enthusiastic and to do that i have to do a bunch of this and i have to meet new people and have different experiences which yeah. um i enjoy hmm. yeah it's 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 notable you can tell too. no and, and and that most of that happened through sponsorship yeah um i started sponsoring fairly early and um didn't have a lot of success with it, but when you're doing that, when you're, when you're sponsoring people, um, it holds, this is my take on it. It holds you accountable. In other words, if, if you're coming to my house to read the book and work steps, I'm going to ask you to do a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous or wherever we're doing it, And I'm going to do it with you. So yeah. I'm not going to go to one meeting a week and tell you, you need to do four or five, you know, and every now and then I'll get a guy that has burned his life down that wants to do a bunch. And when that happens, it's, it's magical for me because oh, really I do, I'm going to meetings on nights. I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. I'm going places. I don't want to go. Um, and I can, and like I said, I have the rear view mirror of experience now where I had a guy six years ago come into my life who, um, <laughs> he just inserted himself in my life and I, my whole recovery, uh, perked up by doing that. Yeah. Um, I would go to his house, pick him up and we would work steps and read the book and just take him everywhere and introduce him to people. And everything changed for me when I, when that happens, um, my sponsor now, Jay, he will say, you know, if you, if you're calling with an issue, you got to meditate, you got to get quiet for a couple of minutes, which is sometimes annoying, sometimes not. And then he'll say, let's pray for God to send his drunks, which I never quite understood it. Or uh -huh. Now I understand on a core level, I understand it. Like when someone new comes in my life that needs me and is willing to do what I'm suggesting, my whole recovery changes because yeah. now I have purpose. Now I have to be somewhere. Now I have to be accountable. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read the book with you and then send you on your way. Yeah. You know, I'm a 
well, you saw that. I'm going to take you to the recovery centers. You're going to speak with me. I think I had a sponsee with me one night when you were in treatment that scared yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I remember that. He was, he was coming on a little strong. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Story, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I've never forgotten that. And I've, I've done that hundreds of times. Yeah. I think I, I spoke at that treatment center when I was eight, nine months over. Mm. And I've done it ever since. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I don't even... I don't even like saying my sobriety date because yeah. it, it just, it kind of seems like I'm just an old guy who's got nothing to do. Yeah. You know, like who's, you know, cause usually you go there and you got a guy with two years, a guy with three, and then you got me. Yeah. And at the end of the meeting, all the guys have gravitated towards them. Yeah. And I'm like over here ah. just being old and long-term sober. And I'm like, damn, you know, <laughs> you don't know the wisdom you can come tap into over here. Yeah. You know? Oh shit, man. I'm sure. I think, I think it's, I think personally, if you share your sobriety date, it's it's more impressive that you're still out there enthusiastic and beating, you know, on the road, doing the things, front lines, so to speak, you know. And it is. And yeah. it's. I, I wish I could look around those rooms and see people doing the same thing. You know, I'm like, where all the 22-year people are? Okay, yeah. Um, are we out of time? Uh, sort of. I mean, okay. if you want to, um, you can go another you, you ask me questions or whatever. Oh, five ten minutes. So, I mean, what? Um, I mean, if um, what's your life like today, Van? It's um. I know you. I know you're you're with a very wonderful lady. I didn't even get a chance to talk about her, but yes, I got into mm-hmm. a recovery air quotes relationship mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. And we've been together over 21 years, and, and she's a bright light. Power couple. No. Well, <laughs> they used to. You know, it's Lisa. And um, I remember before, because she was much more active in the community. Uh-huh. So they would call me Mr. Lisa, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, now they got to call her Miss Van, you know, because oh. I have definitely surpassed her. And when she hears this, she'll laugh. Um, <laughs> but she, she had the spiritual and emotional maturity about her that um, changed my life. Yeah. And that I just um, I wanted to be a better man because I was with her mm. and um, she showed me how to do that. Yeah. And thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous, for changing the way I handle myself with women. Because yeah. before I didn't do that. And wow. we, we do an inventory, as you know, the sexual inventory, that, um, that was the most powerful part of my fourth step was that I got to realize that I had just been horrible with women. You know, not abusive, but I would just use them. And the way I viewed sex and everything was just not the person that I was raised to be. Yeah. And by getting into recovery and wanting to be a good person and then yeah. getting hooked up with her, it changed everything. Yeah. Um, Man, relationships can really change, change you if you, if you allow them to, they can be like, they can, it can be like fuel for enlightenment if you like use it correctly, you know? And I was lucky. I, yeah. I wasn't even looking for that. And you had somebody that wanted the same thing, though. That's important. Yes. Huh? And our relationship was founded on recovery. We started yeah. just going to meetings together. And I, we, me and a friend would just follow wherever she was asked to speak. Yeah. Um, we would she, just go that. And um, <laughs> we would do it. It was Back then it was H&I. We would do an H&I meeting on Friday night at a big treatment center on the North Shore. And we started going together to that. And it was like the highlight of our week is going to speak at this treatment center, which mm. I would have never guessed that two years prior to getting sober. Yeah. You know, so. Fun little trip across the lake. I can see that being fun. It was like 70 clients. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a big deal where you would speak and they would ask you to sign their big books. And it was just a weird, <laughs> you know, you'd get all jeweled up and you started. Yeah. I remember that was really the first time I started getting excited about being sober. Yeah. And sharing um, what has happened to me with yeah. other people. You know, it was pretty um it's transformative. I yeah. would suggest anybody do all that stuff. Yeah. It really is something whenever you're able to like, it's so like whenever you start actually like changing and having a, a positive experience and then sharing it is so amazing. It's such a, it's such an amazing, like, yeah, you don't, I, I didn't see that coming. Like yeah. anything. And to this day, it's Lisa and my friend Scott know it. I, I get asked to do a fair amount of things. Mm-hmm. And the first thought, that always comes into my head is like, well, this is going to fucking suck. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And that's then, always the first reaction. I, it is. It's, it's ridiculous at this yeah. time. And I've done it so much and seen the benefits and I have faith that it works. But now on the way home, every time I'm like, wow, that was awesome. Always. You know, so I can't wait. No, I can't wait to do more and yeah. be more effective and meet new people. And um, I'm at 22 and a half years sober. I'm excited about this yeah. and I'm excited about your sobriety mm. and uh, everybody's, you know, yeah. this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, it is. I'm a happy customer. All right. 
So one more thing before we get let out. Um, I usually ask this question at the end of every podcast, or I'm trying to. Um, if, like, what would you tell yourself? Like, so, like, if you encountered yourself at the time, you're going into this treatment center just having drank in the hot two beers and the pills, and you're looking at recovery or the prospect of recovery, maybe not too um, uh, excited about it or with a lot of faith that it's going to work. Um, if you, if Van 2019 encountered Van 1996, 96, uh, what would you tell him? What would you tell that guy? If, if anything, you know, well, I would have to <laughs> tone down <laughs> my enthusiasm, you know, cause I, it, it, now it almost feels like, you know, have you heard the word of Jesus Christ? Have you accepted uh, him into your heart? Like. Yeah. Well, no, it wouldn't. Cause now I know better than that. And I don't want, I wouldn't want to scare Van. But um, I don't know what I tell him anything because it, it worked out for me. And I just would tell any new person, like, take the suggestions and do the work without wanting to. Because I've sponsored a lot of guys and I met a lot of guys in new, in, new in recovery. And you can almost see they're not going to do anything. They're waiting to want to. Yeah. And that may never happen. Mm. And it's through the action and the doing that the want to happens. And I only know that because I've done it. I didn't know that firsthand. Mm. Um, I got caught up with a bunch of enthusiastic people that I wanted to spend time with and to spend time with them, you had to be involved, yeah. which meant spon- being sponsored, working steps, putting out chairs, making coffee, picking up people, answering the phone, talking to treatment centers. So I got caught up in that because I wanted to spend time with those people and, um, boom, here we my are. life's changed. Here we are sober. My life is beautiful. All right. Well, awesome. Great answer. Thanks again for coming Thanks in for and doing me. this. Really appreciate it.